It's good to be with you in the house of the Lord this morning, and uh, we're going to start a new book today, and so uh, I'm kind of excited about it. We're going to be looking in the book of Judges. Now, I don't know if you know this about me, but one of my favorite things in the world is studying the Bible. I like the Bible, and my favorite thing in the Bible is to talk about Jesus. That's, That's it, hands down. I love the Lord. I love what He's done. I'm excited about every week, but the the story of Jesus is is the 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 fulcrum of the scripture. It's the pivot point where everything changes. But behind that is the weight of the Old Testament. Behind that is the law and the prophets. And understanding that changes the way that we understand what Christ has done. Not because it changes the work of Christ, but because it changes our understanding of us and how that affects us. So we're going to start the book of Judges this morning, and I am excited about it. I think that Judges, more than any other book uh, in the Bible, I think that Judges speaks to the propensity of man to, to turn away from God and to turn to their own understanding, to our own understanding. And this, this hasn't stopped, this propensity, this, this way that we've acted hasn't stopped, and it's prevalent today in all of our lives, and it's something that because it's, it's teaching us in the book of Judges can affect and change our walk today. So this is, this is going to be a great book to go through. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and goodness and for your mercy and for your op- opportunity that we have to learn about you through the Word of God. I ask, Lord, that you would open the Word to us this morning, that uh, I would get out of the way. We get to see what you have for us and Lord, that your name would be magnified as we look at this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the book of Judges, uh, the scripture verses we're going to jump through are going to be up here. I usually teach verse by verse, word by word. Uh, we're going we're gonna to j- jump through things a little faster in the book of Judges because uh, there's a lot of story that will sum up. And uh, I encourage you to go back and read through the book over and over again. Uh, don't don't just wait on it. So as we go through the book, we're going to be talking a lot about where we're at, what's going on. This is the world map there in the Middle East. The big blue in the middle is the Mediterranean or the Roman Sea, depending on what time you're alive. And uh, you see the little triangles there are is the nation of Israel. That's where we're going to be focusing. Um, you see Italy looks like the boot over there kicking a road cone, and then Greece is between uh, that that point and uh, Turkey which is the mass right there above the, uh, above the little triangles, just to let you know where we are in the world. And as we get started, we're going to start with Joshua. So to understand where we get to in Judges, starting with Joshua, in the spring of 1405 B.C., Joshua crosses the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant. One month later, Jericho, one of the best defended cities in the continent at the time, is a pile of rubble. Wrap your mind around that. One month after Joshua crosses the the Jordan River there, the city of Jericho is nothing but rubble on the ground, never to be rebuilt. You can see there where they start over on the other side. They cross the river. They get over there to Jordan. That's the Dead Sea you see at the bottom of the screen. They cross over to Jericho and circle the city a few times, and it falls down. They continue this military campaign throughout the area that will be Israel, which still is today. 
The campaign lasts seven years and is a complete and total success. What they do is they, they march through and they take out the big uh, cities, the big strongholds, and they wipe the place out. They start uh, with Ai. If you remember that story where Joshua comes through right after Jericho, they uh, go over the ridge and uh, they got this battle planned. Half the troops hide. The other half uh, pretends to start a fight and runs. The people all come out of the city of Ai and charge uh, Israel. And when they do, the Israelites come out of hiding. And so that's their Ai's armies trapped between the two. It's a complete rout. They are killing the, the, the people that were there. So much so that the guys take off that purple line. They take off hiding and they try to run away from Israel. And Joshua does something that has only ever been done once. He turns around and points to the sun and says, stop. S-U-N, sun, stop. And the sun stops and stays up in the sky so that they can chase down and make sure and kill every one of these guys. And God did it. And the whole continent, the whole world, saw the sun hold still in the sky, and they all knew Israel was coming. They continue on. You can see uh, Jericho where that starts. They went through the Havites, the Canaanites, the Hittites. That's those, those colors there, and they took the southern kingdoms. That will be where most of uh, the book of Judges, where we're going to spend our time, is there in the southern portion of the kingdom. Then they head north, they go up, uh, take that area that, that will be with uh, Dan, that's the Sea of Galilee that you see there, Capernaum and, uh, and um, Tiberias uh, uh, that you see up there, Sidon at the very top is where the, um, uh, the kingdom is going to end. Um, at this time, Sidon was the, uh, you, if you remember Tyre and Sidon, Sidon was the one that ruled and they're going to be brought low and then Tyre will take their place as the ruler of the north up there eventually. So 1398 B.C., seven years later, the deed is done, and it's time to split the land and mop up. So this campaign lasts only seven years. That's a relatively short period of time. Remember, they've been in the desert 38 years wandering around. When they crossed the, the Jordan River, seven years later, they have destroyed the powers, the cities that were in this whole area where they're going to be. And then Joshua, according to the Lord, splits up the, the area for the different tribes. And when they got done, it looked like this. So this was the 12 different tribes, or 11, and then Levi was spread among them all. And you see the big southern, um, I don't guess that color is peach, that's the tribe of Judah down there. And then in the middle where the stripe is, that's the tribe of Simeon. He's right there in the middle of Judah. And we're going to be covering some of these guys as we go through the book of Judges. So now 1390, this has been, remember we started 1405? So when you're B.C., you count backwards, right? The, the lower the number, the later it is. So 1390 B.C., Joshua gives his last word from the Lord, and he renews the children of Israel's covenant with God. So the very last word that Joshua's going to give them, he's about to die as an old man, and he, he sits the children of Israel down, and he gives a very famous, very powerful speech to the children of Israel. And as he, as he talks about it, and I, I couldn't record it all because we didn't have enough time, he, he, he's summing it up, and he says, Joshua 24, 14, he says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth. 
and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Now, we don't talk about that much, but for the 430 years that the children of Israel are in Egypt, for the period of time that they were there, they were serving Egyptian gods. They went to the Egyptian temples. They did not follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that when Abraham introduced them, he was introduced, this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not all you other guys. It's their God. It's, it's the, the ones. So come back and know God. That's why as soon as they cross the river, the, the goobers build the golden calf and say, this calf is what brought us across the river, this, this dumb statue. And they had that, that tendency, right, to jump back to that. So Joshua has walked with them. These are kids that all of them were young when they left Egypt. They've been in the desert eating manna for 40 years. They've been seeing the miracles of God. God has been preserving them. They had crossed the Jordan River. The city falls down. The next city is destroyed. Seven years, they, they wipe out an army that's so much more powerful than them. Imagine these guys, for a living, they walked. Like, that's what their, their livelihood was. For four decades, that was their livelihood, walking. So then they get to the city, and it's this great, powerful stone city. They don't have swords. They don't have battle tactics and generals. They don't have anything that's, that's going to say, this is how we are going to do this. Rather, they have God. They blow trumpets, right? That's their battle plan. That's a terrible battle plan. They blow trumpets, and the walls fall down. So, so when, when Joshua says that you need to put away the gods that were before you, that's a pretty big challenge put away those gods, uh, verse 20, uh, 15, Joshua 24, 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom, you, whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a beautiful declaration. Joshua said, listen, if you don't want to serve God, choose. Don't just fall into it. Now, I've given people this challenge before. I had a young man that was flirting with uh, drugs and, and um, adultery, thing, fornication things, and he was about, I don't know, 18, 19 years old, and we're driving somewhere. He had Christian parents, and uh, I hired him, and so if I'm paying him, he has to listen to me. That's the way I like to preach to people. And uh, so I, I, I sit him down and, and, uh, during the work day. Uh, actually, I think it was on the way home, and I said, uh, I, I think you need to choose. And he goes, choose what? And I said, you were raised to know God and to know who he was, and you're flirting with this stuff. I know you're doing some alcohol and some marijuana. And I said, the end of that is death. It's sadness and it's loss, I think. But you need to decide what you think. And if you want to be a whoremonger and a dopehead, you need to choose, I want to be a whoremonger and a dopehead. That's the direction I want to go. And if you want to serve God, choose, I want to serve God. But don't play back and forth. Don't teeter-totter. I said, if you're going to be lost, know that you're lost. And if you're going to serve God, stop pretending and serve God. Joshua did that. That's where I got it. Joshua did that. He said, choose this day whom you're going to serve. And the children of Israel chose. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sights, and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, 
and among all the people through whom we passed, the people confessed, we will serve the Lord. Him alone will we serve. He's the one that's taking care of us. He's the one that's protected us. Verse 19, and Joshua said unto the people, you cannot serve the Lord for he is unholy and he is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, nay, but we will serve the Lord. So he said, listen, if you make this declaration, I want you to understand something. The God that you're saying, I'm going to serve, he's jealous. And if you say that we're his people, then he's going to have something to say about it if you walk off from him. Think of it like this. If I go around town, right, if I see a, a lady walking down holding a, a guy's hand, I go, oh, sweet, that's a sweet couple. If I drive around town and see my wife walking holding a guy's hand, I'm going to get out, punch the guy, load my wife, and we're going to, then I'm going to ask what's going on, right? Because I'm jealous of my wife's affection. She's my wife. You don't hold my wife's hand unless you're praying together, and then, you know, you better be a lady. That's my wife, right? Don't hold her hand. That's my hand. Joshua said the same thing. Hey, he's jealous. And if you choose to espouse yourself today to this God, I want you to know something. He's a jealous God, and he will turn on you and bring judgment on you the same way he's brought blessing on you. You know, we forget this. Do you know what it means to say that Jesus is the Lord of your life? Do you know how powerful of a statement that is? That he is your potentate, your ruler, your king, your majesty, the one to whom you owe allegiance? That's a big deal. That's a big deal. You know, if you are born in another... I've got friends that were born in Thailand or Laos. They're born in Laos. And they come and they get a citizenship in America. And when they do that, they get rights and privileges and strictures that they didn't have before. You have to answer to our laws, not only if you're in the country, but wherever you're at. You have to answer to being an American. You have to walk a certain way. You have to, you have to understand that, that with this right comes duty. There might be a draft. You know, if you're a Canadian or you're a Laotian and there's a draft, it makes no difference, Right. But if America gets to the point that says, man, we're, we're in a war that we can't win. We need soldiers. They send out a draft, and they will draft Americans, nobody else. And if you dodge that draft, if you, if you run off to Canada or do something to dodge the draft, then there are consequences to that because you're an American and you have a responsibility. Joshua said there's consequences if you swear to this. Verse 22, Joshua 22, 24, 22. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves, that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, he said, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice will we obey. That's a wonderful statement. We should all make that statement. We should all make that true and sure in our hearts. And he said, listen, if you do that, it comes with consequences. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that out overlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. Now, this is important. 
The difference between experiential relationship with Christ and a relationship with Christ. So in other words, the difference between if, if we have um, somebody with a gift of healings that come and heal somebody, and because of a healing, then you say, I'm going to go to church because that's where I get healed, or because you're giving, getting rice, or you're getting whatever it is that you're getting that's not a relationship with God but makes you feel better about you or life or whatever. It's an experience that you have, not a relationship. That lasts as long as the experience is in memory. But when the experience is gone, you're going to forget God. But when you have a relationship with God, that doesn't go away. You have that forever. These guys were experiential. So they said because that this is the God that delivered us, a few years later, all the ones that had been there were dead. They'd passed on. The children of Israel forgot. So what was the word of the Lord? They said, we will serve the Lord and keep his word. What's the word? Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16. But this is a commandment from God that's given by Moses. It says, but the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. But thou shalt utterly destroy them. Namely, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezzarites, Perizzites, the Havites, the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. He says, listen, when you get to the Canaanites, kill them, all of them. Which ones of them? The ones that breathe. That's a rough commandment. That's horrible. Man, I am so thankful that I'm not raised in this place at this time. I don't like the idea of hurting someone, much less killing somebody. I, I, I find this horrifying. I find this terrible. But you know who has the right to do this? The unmitigated total right to do this? One person, God, because he is the king of glory, the king of kings. And if he says, this is what I want done, he has the right to do that. And he had a specific and a special and a, and a, and a good reason for it. And they were to follow it, and they swore to follow it to God. So here, 1380 B.C., we're still counting up 10 years after the death of Joshua. The city or the, the nation had been split up like this, and they had been relaxing in their homes, building them, preparing them for 10 years. They had been setting down roots, putting up their place. And it came time to conquer the land to drive out the Canaanites the way they'd been told to do. And when they got ready to do it, I think this statement sums up the rest of the book more than anything else. We know better. But we know better. God said this, but we know better. Friends, we do this. We do this all the time. We do this constantly, but we know better. You know, there's all kinds of commandments in the Scripture. There's all kinds of things the Bible tells us to do. You know the Bible says you're not to fornicate? You know, the Bible says that. I didn't say that. Paul said it. He said, do not, do not fornicate. Sex outside of marriage? Absolutely not. No, don't do that. But you know better. But you know that it's okay in this situation. But you know that, that you are different. But you know that it's, it's pleasurable. It's fun. It's, it's better for you at this point. You know better. No, you don't. No, you don't. Guess who knows better? The one that created. Bible says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. 
Is that simple? Don't get drunk, right? That's pretty simple, but you know better. But we know better. But we go out, and, and it's, it's, uh, but it feels so good. But it's, better, it's more fun to party that way. And, and, and we know better. And you go, oh, well, I don't do those things. How about love your neighbor? But he's a jerk because you know better than God. God said love him. You know, this, this hits us. This ought to. It ought to change us. Judges chapter 1, verse 1. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land unto his hand. So this was probably done with the, with the uh, um, it just slipped my mind, <laughs> The, uh, the, the thing that they used in the temple for yes and no answers, but the Lord may have spoken through, through one of the Levites or one of the judges, and, and he said, who should we send? Who should go up to fight? And they said Judah, not just for Judah's property, but Judah should go and fight for the whole nation. They should run the Canaanites out of the land of the Benjamites, out of the land of, the Zebu of Zebulun, out of the land of Simeon. Judah should do all of it. Now, why? Genesis chapter 49, when Israel is, is blessing his children, he says, uh, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? So when he's getting blessed, Judah is prophesied that he was going to have his hand on the neck of the enemies. Now, I had a guy when I was young, before I was a foot taller than him, that when we were walking along together, he would reach out and grab me around the back of the neck like this and could move me around because he, once you get somebody like that, you just, you, you can't, you can't do much, especially if you're a little smaller. And, and, and so, uh, when, when God is prophesying about Judah, he says Judah is going to have his enemies by the throat, by the neck. He's going to hold them, and they're going to be subjugated by him. That he's like a lion that's crouched down in the weeds, ready to pounce. That Judah is going to rule. Now, why would God do that? Because the line of the tribe of Judah is coming, and God knows that. God knows what he's going to send and who he's going to do and what he's going to do. And, and he knows that Jesus is coming through the line of Judah, that David, the king, is coming through the line of Judah. And he's preparing, he's setting that up. And they said, who should we send? And he said, Judah. Judah, because God's got plans, he's got direction that we don't have access to. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into my lot, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with thee unto thy lot. So Simeon went with him. First thing they did. First thing. Who's to go? Judah. Okay, Simeon, let's go together. Now, this isn't a bad idea. As a matter of fact, it's a good idea. Remember, Simeon is living in the middle of Judah's property, and they're related. And so what difference does it make if more of them are there than was before? Because God said Judah should go up. But why would God say that? Because he knows better, and you don't. So shut up and be obedient. They didn't. They didn't. Simeon went up. Judges 1-4. Now, that was, a little, that was a little conflict. It gets worse. And Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites unto their hand. 
And they slew them at Bezek, 10,000 men. And they found Adonai Bezek and Bezek, and they fought against him. And they, and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled. And they pursued after him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. Ew, right. That was terrible. That was, <laughs> that's a terrible thing to do to somebody. Uh, they, they caught him. They, they, they defeated the enemy. And they catch this king and they cut off his, both of his thumbs and both of his big toes. Now, that's both ceremonial and it has purpose. The man can never hold a weapon again. He can never hold a stylus. And he's been marred. Marked as one that was defeated. And he recognized this as judgment. And Adonai Bezek said, Three score and ten kings, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table. As I have done, so God hath requited me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, where, uh, and there he died. Now the children of Judah had fought against Jerusalem and taken it and smitten it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. So Adonai Bezek, which by the way is his title, not his name. Adonai is, is Lord. Bezek is the area, so the Lord of Bezek. So Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings I've done this to. These are kings of city-states in the area. And he says, 70 of them, I have done this. I've cut off their thumbs and toes, and they got under my table like dogs to eat food. Now, whether that was under his table or that was an explanation of the way that they acted, he said, under my table, they were getting their food like animals because I had this power over them. Now, let's have a, a quiz, see if you were paying attention. Did God tell them to go into the Canaanites and cut off their thumbs and big toes? No, he didn't. He said to kill them if they're breathing. Was he still breathing? He was. This was disobedience to God. Adonai Bezek died, whether from infection or old age, he died of a, of a natural cause, not from a sword slash. That should not have happened. They should have put him to death. But they didn't. You know why? Because they already beat him. They already won. They had, had victory, and they brought him back, and they showed, look, we beat him. We have victory over him. We have power over the and it was the custom of the day. It was the norm. It was the right th it was the normal thing to they knew better when they got to this point. They knew better. They don't need to kill the guy. They already won. Um Othniel, the son of Kinez. Now the reason that that we covered this where we're skipping a lot is because he is one of the first or the first judge that comes up after this. And this is recorded word for word in Judges and in Joshua. So Judges 1.12, And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kirjath Sefer and taketh it, to him will I give Ashereth my daughter. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it, and he gave him Ashereth his daughter to wife. So Caleb says, Hey, whoever will take this place, this city, I will give him my daughter. And he had a nephew so his brother's son, that went and took the city and married his second cousin. He gave him his daughter to wife. Now that's right there in, in Judah. You see the black dot there right above Simeon's uh, uh, territory is where the area was uh, that he took. Judges uh, 1.14, And it came to pass when she came to him that she moved him to ask of her father a field. And she lighted from off her ass, and Caleb said unto her, what wilt thou? 
And she said unto him, Give me a blessing, for thou hast given me a south land. Give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper spring and the nether spring. Now, what, what we notice here is that, that the, um, the, the guy, the Othniel, that comes and, and does this, that, that captures the city, the first thing he did was he went up in faith, because he was of the tribe of Judah, and did what God told him to do. He took the city. He overcame the Canaanites in the land, destroyed it, and took the city. He was obedient. Later, we're going to see that he is a judge for the children of Israel and that God works through him. Do you want to be used of God? Obedience. That is the first thing to do. It's so frustrating when people say, I just want God's direction in my life. Are you walking in truth? I'm trying to. (laughs) No, are you walking in truth? David said, Lord, try my heart and reign and see if there be any wicked way in me and show me so that I can do what? I can follow you. I can do what you want me to. He said, I've I've repented of everything I can repent. I've walked with you as close as I can walk. Find something else for me to change. Keep adjusting me. When that's your heart, when you say, Lord, I, I am at your mercy and at your pleasure. When, as soon as you want something done, you let me know. I'm going to move that direction. That attitude comes first. That heart comes first. That is the first directive. Obey the word of God. You know, the Bible says that those that will be wealthy spread a net for their feet. In other words, those that will be rich. If your design and your purpose and your goal and your desire is to be rich, you're creating problems for yourself. And if, you're, if that's your desire, if you're trying most of all not not, it's not saying don't, don't work hard. He's not saying don't build wealth. He's saying if that's your desire and focus in life, that you're, you're going to hurt yourself by doing that. And you know what? If we ignore that, if we turn our back on that, and then we say, God, we want your direction, but, but we don't want to follow the direction you already gave us. We want new direction, something amazing. I want to go on a missions trip, God. I want to go somewhere amazing with amazing stories. Be obedient. Be obedient now. That's what Othniel did. He was obedient now. Judges 119, and the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. And they gave Hebron to Caleb, Caleb as Moses said, and he expelled thence the three sons of Anak. Now, why couldn't they take the valley? Why couldn't they take it? But was it because they had chariots of iron? Well, indirectly, yes. Do you know why they couldn't take Jericho? Because they had walls of rocks. So they couldn't do that. But you know who could do that? God could do that. It required faith. You see, Judah didn't have the faith to follow God down into the valley without Simeon. To just say, Lord, if you're calling us to do this, and if you're telling me that you'll deliver them into my hand, then I'm going to trust you and I'm going to go do what you told me to do. Judah didn't have the faith to do that. See, Romans 1.17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul says, listen, God's righteousness, whether in the faith of Israel, the faith of Judah, whether it is in their belief system, are the one that we have in Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed by trusting Him, by faith in Him. By believing him. And he said, the just shall live by faith. That's the way the ones that are just in God 
are going to live. They're going to live by faith. When uh, the Christ is walking with the man, he's got the sick daughter, and they're, and they're walking back to his house, and the, and the guy comes and he goes, don't bother the master anymore, your daughter's dead. Jesus heard it. He answered him saying, fear not, only believe, and she shall be made whole. He said, don't worry about what you know to be true. Worry about the one that's with you. Because the one that's with you, this isn't an issue. Death is not a problem. Only believe, have faith. You know, if Judah had trusted God and been obedient from the beginning, then what are chariots of iron? God's design, the issue that they had were not iron chariots. The issue that they had was trusting God. And that's always our issue. That's always the heart of it. That's always the problem. You know what God doesn't need? Your money. Your health your abilities. He, he doesn't need your life. God is complete without us. And He can accomplish whatever He wants to accomplish without us. And do you know that if I ask God for a brand new truck, and He wants to make one that doesn't exist, not give me a good deal on a new truck, just the thing fall out of the sky, whistle and land out here, that's not a problem for God. But that's not what God wants. What God wants is to build faith in me. You understand the difference. What God has designed for the children of Israel is for them to trust Him. And His design for you is for, him, for you to trust Him. You know, God doesn't need your knowledge. You can study and have all the doctrine and everything and know all the facts. And that doesn't, that's not what God needs from you. You know what He needs from you is faith. Not because it's lacking for Him, but because He is growing you. And for you to grow in Him, your faith meets His knowledge and you grow. It meets Him. So you trust Him. And as you trust Him, He gives you more to trust Him on. You know, keeping us all healthy until we're 120, like Moses was. And then, and then we, we're, we're totally healthy. And then we walk up the mountain, eyes not dimmed, strength of our hands are not done, lay down, take a nap, and go be in glory. Not a problem for God. God can do that for every one of us. But that's not the design. You know why? Because tribulation worketh patience. We need that in our life. We need that more than we need healing. We need to trust God and to walk with God. We need to pray and ask Him. We need to pray and ask Him again. For weeks, the children of Israel should have followed. They should have trusted God, but they didn't. Judges one twenty one. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Remember, Judah went and burned the city. They took the walls. They took out the army. The children of Benjamin moved in there. That was their territory. They moved in when, ben when Judah had finished killing the soldiers and preparing the place. And instead of driving them all out, killing them, getting rid of them, and not leaving one that was breathing, the Benjamites moved in there with them. They dwelt with them. You see that down there in Jerusalem? That's the top of the peach territory, the bottom of that gray off to the left of the Sea of Galilee. Judges 1.22, in the house of Joseph, they also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph sent to decry Bethel. Now the name of the city before was Lutz. And the spies saw a man come forth out of the city, and they said unto him, Show us, we pray thee the entrance unto the city, and we will show thee mercy. So the, the, um, 
um, Joseph's house goes up there, and, and they are to take the city. They're planning to take the city. They get there, and this, this guy comes running out, and they catch him. They put a sword to his throat, and they say, show us the back way in, or we're going to kill you. Now, remember Rahab the harlot. Remember, she hid the children of Israel before the walls came down. And then they came out, and she was saved alive. But that was God's decision. And she did that. God decided that because she had faith in God. She hid him first. And God chose, and she made Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter on faith. She believed God. And furthermore, the lineage of Christ came through Rahab, eventually through Ruth. And so, and so when God decides to do that, that's up to him. But when Joseph got there, they had a battle plan. They figured it out. They figured out what they needed was a passage out the back. And so they caught a man, they put a sword to his throat, they got the information, and they told him that they would have mercy. That's up there at the top of, of the city of, or the um, territory of Benjamin. Judges 1.25, And when he had showed them entrance unto the city, they smote the city with the edge of the sword, but they let go the man and all his family. And the man went into the land of the Hittites and built a city and called the name thereof Luds which is the name thereof until this day. He went right out. They, they just conquered the city. He went out and built another one with the same gods, with the same culture, with the same issues, same problems, and it was a thorn in the side of Israel. Now, again, remember the commandment. He said, Thou shalt save nothing alive that breatheth, Deuteronomy 20:16, but utterly destroy it. And he names all the people there. And he says, verse 18, here's why. That they teach you not to do after all their abominations, which they have done under their gods, so should ye sin against the Lord your God. You see, God knew better. They thought they knew better. They thought that what they had was the right thing to do. But God already knew that if they left them alive, the children of Israel, their children, would follow strange gods. You know, it's our children. It's our children that pay for our lack of faith. When when Lot went out and went to the city, he was a righteous man, but he lost all of his kids. He lost all of the ones after him, whereas Abraham, he said, I know thee that you will command your family after you in righteousness. It was a different heart that Abraham had that affected his children for generations. It was a different heart that Lot had that affected his kids for generations. He said, if you leave these cities, they'll teach you something that you shouldn't do. And it happens over and over again. You know why? Because it was enticing. They had temple prostitutes. The, the people of Baal used that as part of their worship service. You could you go down there and enjoin yourself. That's enticing for a young man. That's enticing for that culture. Do you know that go, the Satan is using that in our nation right now, today? You know that there are internet pages that are enticing our young people away from the church in droves? that are destroying our culture. You know that there are all kinds of things that will draw people out, draw them away. And God said, come out from among them and be separate. Be different. Be weird, he says. You're a peculiar people. Be outrageous sometimes. Tear your TV out and throw it into the middle of the driveway. If that's what it takes, pop an eyeball out. If that's what it takes, no, don't do that. That was a... That was a last case scenario. Uh, do what it takes. Get rid of the things that are drawing you away and be serious, not for your sake, for your children's sake. 
He says, they would sin against him. Now, remember the promise that he made, Joshua 1.5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail or forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand nor to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. He said, if you will not turn from the law, you'll prosper. But if you do, you will, you will pay for it. Psalms 119 verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn, and I will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments. David said to the Lord, your word reminds me where my path is, and I'll stay on that path. I'll, I'll keep it. You know, if you don't have victory in your Christian walk, I'm going to ask, are you in the word of God every day? Because his word is what lights that path. That's where you find victory. That's where you walk in truth, staying in the word. Judges 127, neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and her towns, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. So that's the other tribe, Manasseh, and he didn't drive them out. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. You know, that was the problem. The Canaanites, I mean, the Israelites were strong. You know, the Israelites should not have been able to, to kick these people out of their land. You know why they could? Because God was with them. Because God directed them and protected them. They would go down to fight, and right before they get to this army of 10,000 men, bees, hornets, would come flying and get in their armor and start stinging these guys. And they get there, and all these guys are trying to get their armor off, and they're stuck. And the Israelites stab them all. Man, we're good at this fighting thing. I thought it was hard. You just, you just run down the hill and wait till the enemy's got their armor halfway off, and then you stab them. It's easy. We got this thing, no problem. You know, they thought it was them doing it. They thought they were the ones that were... You know, America's the most blessed nation that has ever been. Our, our wealth, our just ability to do what we want in America is incredible. And you know what we wanted? Back in the 15, I mean, 1850s and through the 1900s, you know what we wanted? We wanted to take the gospel to the whole world because it was, life was a struggle, and we had a message of salvation, and we were so excited because we were a Christian nation, and we just wanted to take the gospel to the world. And then the Second World War came, and you know what we wanted? We wanted to give peace to the world. We fought not because we wanted to kill people, but because we wanted people to stop dying. So we sent our soldiers, and we fought, and we overcame unsurmountable odds. You think we did that? You think that we're not blessed by God? Man, read history. We're, we are unbelievably blessed by God as a nation. And now what do we want? Bigger TVs, more vehicles, a bigger house. We want to be able to watch the garbage that the world is producing on an 84-inch screen. And that's where we spend our money and our time. And less and less people are spending their time giving the gospel to those that are lost. 
Less and less people are leaving the comfort of their homes and going across the world to allow, like some of our missionaries that went out, 20 of their children to die on the mission field. Man, if you, if, if you lose one, then quit and go home. Men move to, to the mission field and live their life there. We have retirement programs for missionaries. I'm not saying that re- missionaries shouldn't have things, but, but man, service to God is about Him, not about our safety nets. And, and when they got there and they were strong and they said, we've done it, Ah, aren't we inventive? Aren't our soldiers the best? Aren't we the smartest? We did it. Let's put the Canaanites to tribute. Let's just charge them because, look, if they ever rise up against us, we'll just run out there with our armor's half off and stab them. No problem. We got this thing. They forgot that God had this thing, not them. And they ignored the commandments of God in favor of doing what they knew to be the right thing to do. Judges 129, neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwell in Gezer, neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Achio, but the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. They lived with them as neighbors, good neighbors, that God told them to kill. Now, I don't blame them for not wanting to do it. I don't blame them for wanting to be good neighbors, but they did not obey God, and it cost them. 131, Judges 131, neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Bethshema, nor the inhabitants of Bethana, but dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Bethshema and the inhabitants of Bethana became tributaries unto them. Again, good business model, okay? They beat them. Rather than kill them because they couldn't fill up the whole land, it had happened to them for generations in Egypt, you can stay in your land, grow your corn, we're taking half, okay? We're taking half. I don't have to grow corn that way because I can take it from you because we beat you and you can contribute to our good. And they knew that was a good business model, but it wasn't God's business model. It wasn't what God told them to do. Judges 2.1, and an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bach him, and said, I made you to go out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of the land, but ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? That's hard to give an answer to. That's hard to explain when you're standing in front of God. You know what the Bible says? That everyone will give an answer. Everyone, all of us, will stand before God. Now, it, it won't be to decide whether you're going to heaven or going to hell, but you'll stand before a judgment seat, and God will say, why have you done it? Why? Because he's going to hand out rewards. That TV, that thing you watched, why'd you do that? That website that you clicked on, why'd you do that? Every one of us will give an account of himself before God. Can you imagine what you're going to do tomorrow standing before God and explaining why you did it? Because you're going to. Because you're going to. You spent your life making money, and you didn't give any of it for my kingdom. Why'd you do that? You did not love your wife. I told you to. 
But she was, I didn't say, but she was, I said, I didn't ask what she was. I asked, why did you not love your wife? Because I told you to. You just don't understand. Listen, they killed me. And, and my, my, my friends killed me. You think I don't understand? Why did you not love your wife? Why did you not submit to your husband? Well, that's not what you meant. Don't tell me what I meant. I'm asking you why you didn't do what I said. Because I told you to submit to your husband. Why didn't you do that? That's heavy, friends. It's heavy, and it ought to change our walk. Judges 2.3, Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. When they got to the end, when they realized what they had done, when they realized that they failed to be obedient to God, they repented, and it was too late. The judgment was coming. It was too late. They had prepared and planned and set up a snare for them and for their children, and it would destroy them over and over again, and it would continue to destroy them until finally the Savior came and offered a different way a different means. Then they were removed from the land finally in 70 AD and didn't come back until 1948. They were removed from the promised land because they would not accept the Messiah when he finally came. They rejected him because for so long they rejected faith in God. It wasn't a matter of are there altars, are there things. Are... The problem was they rejected faith in God. When he said do it, they said we know better. And, and that was a snare to them forever. But what about us? Romans 13, 8. You say, well, that's the Old Testament, right? The law doesn't apply to us. We're under grace. That's true. We're under grace. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in the same, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. In other words, the law is summed up in this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love, love one another, love your neighbor. Romans 13.10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law, and that knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us, therefore, cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Paul says, listen, today is sooner. The, the rapture is sooner. Jesus is coming back sooner today than yesterday, and sooner yesterday than when you believed. He said, you're running out of daylight, friends. You're running out of daylight. The day is far spent. Time to put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. It's time to love one another. You say, but you don't know that guy, what he's done and what he deserves. He says, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. You know, we can work around that. Yeah, I love them, but do you know what they did? Do you know? Let me, let me tell you. Let me talk about this for a minute. Let me talk about this and spread some ill will toward him, toward her, toward them, toward that family, toward that people group. Whatever it is, let me, let me, because I know better than the commandment of God. Friends, Paul said it is time to get on our face before God, to throw off the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light. That's God's armor. 
That's the ones he talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the armor of light and embrace the things of God, the commandments of God. They're there because they're right. They're not there to keep you from doing fun stuff. They're there to keep you from dying. They're there to help you. They're there to bless you. Now listen, keeping all the commandments of light will not make you okay before God. Man, if you don't fornicate, you don't ever sin, you don't ever do any of that bad stuff from now until ever, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that there are no different between the Jews and the Gentiles, between the ones that have walked in darkness their whole life or the ones that have walked according to the law their whole life. We all need Jesus. And that's the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. But listen, once the Israelites were in the promised land, once they were there, they caused much pain by not following the Word of God. They hurt themselves, and we will too. Paul says that fornication is a sin against yourself. You're going to hurt yourself with it. That's pornography, guys. That's, that's any kind of iniquity, adultery, anything that you lend your members to. He says, lend not your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but give them to God. Okay? Now, this was uh, heavy. And um, it was uh, a lot of judgment in the book of Judges, but there's a lot of mercy too. We didn't get to get to it this week, but we see when the children of Israel walk away and walk in darkness, that God will send a judge to tell them a message, come back to me and I will love you, I'll forgive you, I will restore you. And they do for a while, and then they do it again, and then God loves them again. You know, the forgive seven times 70, he's already done that for you and for me. Over and over, every day, still forgives. He still loves. He still has mercy. And at the end of next week, he still is. Don't despair. He's one of mercy. He's a God of mercy. But let's let this adjust the way we live our lives. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God, for its clarity. Thank you for um, giving us a better way, Father. I'm so thankful that you've provided a better way for us, uh, that we can come to know you and that it's not just those titans of faith that we are going to read about, but it is anyone that trusts in you that gets to come to be and called uh, a good servant, Father. I pray that you would go with us this week, that this would uh, dig in like a sticker and not go away, that it would uh, adjust and change and shape and that we would learn to walk with you closer and nearer. Father, I pray for my own life, that as David said, Lord, examine and try and direct me so I can walk better, walk closer, walk nearer, Lord, and lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.